0: Welcome back to Here You Are, season three. I'm your host, Tom Fleischman. And here today for our second episode, we have Stefan in the studio. Stefan, introduce yourself.
1: Hello, I'm Stefan Chaudry. I'm from Las Vegas and I'm a sophomore.
0: All right, and you're here today to tell us about the beginning of the fairy and the organization Cats. That's right. And I understand though, from the very beginning, there were all kinds of problems, impediments, obstacles to the ferry service getting going.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles to start out with was a company in charge of the fast ferry, CATS. They ran into a lot more obstacles than disinterest.
0: What's CATS stand for?
1: Canadian American Transportation Systems.
0: Ah, okay. So what, what were the problems?
1: Well, they had everything from funding problems to physical problems with the boat. They even had issues with borders and customs.
0: All these things get in the way, but yet they keep going. Why?
1: I was trying to find a way to explain this, and I was flipping through the channels the other night, and I saw a movie that I used to watch when I was a kid. Field of Dreams. Have you seen it?
0: Of course. James Earl Jones, corn, Iowa, baseball. That other guy who's very handsome, Kevin Costner.
1: (laughs) That's right. Well. You know that scene when Kevin Costner's character is standing out in the cornfield and he hears that voice, if you build it, they will come?
0: Nope, nope, it's... If you build it, they
1: will come. Yeah, something like that. Well, that mantra reminds me a lot of what Katz did to get the ferry to Rochester, actually. What, What do you mean? Well, every time they had a problem, funding, problems with the engines, or borders, it feels like they heard that mantra in their head if you build it, they will come. and they just pushed onward
0: okay okay so now i'm beginning to understand how it works so take me back to the start how did cats get involved
1: this is here you are season three episode two fairy of dreams it's 2000 the city of Rochester holds a contest to field proposals for their Fast Ferry project. A whopping one proposal came in and was chosen by default. That proposal was submitted by Katz, a newly formed company led by Dominic DeLucia and Brian F. Prince. DeLucia and Prince were first introduced to the Fast Ferry concept in 2000. As natives to Rochester and self-proclaimed multi-millionaires, they were eager to give back to their community. With their combined experience, from their MBAs in corporate finance and accounting, to their work at Lehman Brothers, they felt confident in their ability to bring the Fast Ferry to life. Also on board was Howard Thomas, president, marketing expert, and Toronto local, along with nine other board members, only one of whom had actual experience with ferries. From the beginning, the Fast Ferry project seemed to be in good hands. It was headed by both Rochesterians and Canadians, all of them prominent in their respective fields but red flag number one appeared almost instantly. The initial plan called for two ferries to run between Rochester and Toronto, but Katz had submitted a plan that would only operate one ferry. The city decided that they could overlook this because Katz told them that running two ferries would eat up the city's budget of $150 million long before running. They promised to deliver on the first ferry and would get a second running if the demand was high enough.
2: Uh, Well, we'd like to order it as soon as possible because there's a theory that says this route does not reach its highest and best use until you have a transit system moving back and forth with two boats. And that is uh, indeed what what our lenders are banking on.
1: Given that Katz was the only company to submit a proposal, the city had no choice but to move forward with their drastically altered plan. The majority of Katz's budget was allocated for building the first ferry, And even though DeLucia and Prince had promised a hefty sum of their personal funds, they still had to seek loans from both the city and New York State. Katz needed the loan so that the shipbuilders could continue work on the ferry, but the loan didn't come as easily as they first thought. Their first hurdle was the Rochester Genesee Regional Transit Authority, or RGRTA for short. It was the city agency in charge of transferring public funds. They refused to supply the money if Katz didn't meet their demands. One of these demands asked Katz to verify the private investment they had pledged. That is, DeLucia and Prince would have to reveal whether they did indeed possess the over $9 million slated in their budget proposal. Katz vehemently refused, and a public argument broke out. Dominic DeLucia and Mayor Bill Johnson against Bill Noje, the chairman of the RGRTA. Here's how it played out on local news
2: show us the money he doesn't need to see it show us a bank statement but the people who need to see them have seen them show us commitment letters from private investors they don't need to see it and that was never the agreement that they were to see it
1: and that's just the first of their disagreements there's an old saying that ronald reagan had which was trust but verify if the governor and the legislature trusted it's our job to verify to protect state taxpayer dollars
2: that's not true says the mayor It was like taking a dose of castor oil. That money was supposed to go directly through the transit authority without any impediments, without any blockage, without any holdup. Mr. Nojay has been trying to stand in the way of this project for a considerable period of time. We wish cats the best of luck. That's that's another lie. Bill Nojay should do the right thing for this community. And that's exactly what he says he's doing by guarding the taxpayers' investment. It's not their money.
1: It's RGRTA that is loaning money to cats.
2: It is the state of New York's money.
1: We are the state of New York. You are? Absolutely. We're a state agency. We're that point
2: is true. absolutely ludicrous.
1: We are the conduit for the public funds.
2: Then why not sign it?
1: Show us the money. Why not show them the money?
2: First of all, there, um, those are not Mr. Nojay's only issues. I don't talk to Bill Nojay. Why not? Because he's he's a, he, he is a devious, he's a devious person.
1: Trust, but verify. Delays were threatened. Cats grew impatient. The public grew impatient. Mayor Johnson was forced to step in to save the ferry. In order to transfer the loan, Mayor Johnson only needed a city-run agency. So he cut the RGRTA out of the deal entirely and replaced them with the Rochester Urban Renewal Agency, RURA, an agency that he had created himself They did not inquire about Katz's private funds, and instead released the loan, no questions asked, allowing Katz to move forward. They had finally succeeded in the first steps of bringing the ferry of their dreams to Rochester.
0: So it's kind of amazing that two people that were so well-connected had such a hard time coming up with the funds for this project.
1: Well, this was no ordinary ferry. And besides, we basically have no idea what happened with that money. To this day, Katz has never released any of their financial statements.
0: Huh. So do you think that Katz was driving this thing in the wrong direction from the start?
1: Well, not exactly. Katz wanted more than anyone to see the ferry succeed. But despite their ambition, they couldn't have foreseen what would happen next. At the turn of the century, transportation that crossed American borders would run into problems. Major problems. Red flag number two came on September 11th, 2001. The terror attacks forced America to shut her borders, and Katz's plan was delayed indefinitely. 9-11 changed American border security forever. Airplanes, cars, and ferries would have to obey new regulations that demanded intense scrutiny of passengers and cargo. A transit service that crossed the border needed a whole lot more in order to be approved. Katz would have to shell out more money on security systems and obtain even more licensing and approval for the ferry, so that it could cross the border legally. This was no easy task. To complicate matters even further, a border crossing between Canada and the U.S. across Lake Ontario had not happened in over 50 years. Charting a route across the lake in a post-9-11 environment would be even harder. A change in border security of this magnitude would have cancelled most early-stage projects. But ambition, and a promise made to Rochester, pushed Katz onward. Initially delayed to early 2003, the ferry was now slated to launch in May 2004.
0: So, most companies would probably have thrown in the towel after facing so many obstacles. Why did they go forward?
1: Well, I think the physical ferry was a big part of it. After they had invested so much, it really felt like there was no turning back once they started. So what made the boat so special? Well, before I can tell you that, we've got to go back to the late 90s when the ferry business was on the rise. In the late 90s and into the early 2000s, the ferry business saw a worldwide increase in government funding to relieve traffic issues in major cities. New York and Seattle already had ferry systems, but they were largely under budgeted and inconvenient for passengers. Across the border, ferries were common in British Columbia and Quebec, and more were on their way in Ontario. Most of these ferries had gotten started with a private company and ended up being subsidized by the government in order to integrate better with other mass transit. In this case, CATS fit the bill perfectly. But in order to run a ferry service, first they needed a ferry. Enter Austell Ships. Established in 1988, Austell was one of the companies responsible for the ferry boom starting in the late 90s. It's worth mentioning that much of that boom was attributed to the advent of the catamaran, a new type of ferry that revolutionized the industry. Because of Austell's recent success with that model of ship and Katz's considerable budget, they decided to build the mother of all catamarans for Rochester. It was quite fitting for Katz, whose director of planning said at the beginning of the project, there's nothing better than playing with boats. And if you want to play with boats, why not play with a big, exciting boat? The ferry was a prototype, the first of its kind, and was the largest and most powerful catamaran soon to be in the U.S. Equipped with cutting-edge technology, Austell's ferry for Rochester easily lived up to Katz's ambition. It was named the Spirit of Ontario. It was completed in October 2003, and a couple of months later, the ferry was ready to make the trip to Rochester. On April 1st, 2004, the spirit of Ontario was headed for Rochester through New York City. It was to be docked in Manhattan before making the next leg of its journey through the Erie Canal. Bob Mansfield, the only CATS executive in New York City at the time, was on the phone with Dominic DeLucia when red flag number three. Just weeks after being removed from the assembly line, Spirit of Ontario was sporting a 25-foot gash above the starboard side's waterline after ramming into a Manhattan pier.
2: It is, you know, superficial damage and uh, we're confident that it'll be repaired very quickly.
1: The ferry had just made a long journey from its dry dock in Perth, Australia, where Austell had constructed the ship. So a small gash meant that it had actually gotten off easy. Repairs were made in Manhattan, and it was soon on its way. 26 days later, the ferry finally arrived in Rochester. Floating at over five stories tall, the ferry docked itself at the newly built and equally impressive port of Rochester. 500 people had come to welcome the ferry to its new home. For both Katz and the ferry, the journey had been arduous and full of obstacles. But Katz had built it, and riders would soon come. Katz and Mayor Johnson were on the cusp of achieving their dream. And then, the fourth red flag appeared. While making a test run to Toronto, the crew discovered that the engines were overheating. Repairs would have to be made before launch. To add insult to injury, the crew was not allowed on the ship until repairs were completed. And without access to the facilities, they couldn't finish the necessary safety training. All 200 crew members were put on unpaid leave, and the ferry was moored in Toronto until repairs were made, estimated to cost $1 million. Katz didn't have to foot the bill, but the engine problems exacted a different price. The launch was now delayed by seven weeks. Instead of early May, the ferry was now expected to launch mid-June. Public trust was at an all-time low, and morale for the crew was even lower. The only solution to this distrust was to get the ferry up and running as soon as possible, barring any other setbacks Cats might face. The end was in sight, and Cats could not be dissuaded. And then the long-awaited day came. June 13, 2004. Christening Day for the Spirit of Ontario. Everyone who made the ferry possible was in attendance, including Mayor Johnson and the executives of CATS. Even Jan Wong, the writer of Ferry Bad Place, was there, and she was wearing an I Heart Rochester t-shirt, despite her scathing article published only a couple of months earlier. The event was invite-only, and included a christening, ribbon-cutting, and a 30-minute ride on the ferry to showcase its interior and its speed. The atmosphere was bright and cheery, but the reality for Cats was bleak. The fifth and final red flag was revealed in a report released years after the launch. Cats was at least $4 million in debt at this point, and they were going to sink even further into the hole since their main source of revenue never even got running. Cats never meant to make a profit off of ticket sales alone. They wanted to put every inch of their massive ferry to use, including the cargo hold, which could carry up to 10 full-size commercial trucks. Katz wanted to transport goods across the lake in these trucks, but this required special customs approval from both countries. The certification would take too long, and Katz was out of time, so they had to bite the bullet and launch the boat in spite of their massive debt. Five days later, on June 18th, the ferry would open for its first official day of service. But for a first day launch, the ridership was extremely low. Out of the 774 passengers that the ferry could potentially carry, only 67 riders were present for the ferry's first trip, even though Katz had advertised that it was sold out. To many, it seemed as though Katz had grossly overestimated their daily ridership, and their boat was just too big for the lake. What's more, there were clues that Katz was deep in debt. The cost of tickets are going up. As a way to cover $1 million in customs fees, Kat says it will roll an extra four bucks onto passengers. It's a nominal charge, it's $4 U.S. um, And I'm very confident that we're gonna be able to waive that in the not too distant future. The change seemed minor, but it indicated something going on behind the scenes. But for now, the public didn't notice amongst all the hoopla. And besides, it still beat taking the QEW. From the start, Many observers assumed the ferry was jinxed. But on launch day, cats got the opportunity to prove the naysayers wrong. Regardless of their financial state, they succeeded in bringing a fast ferry to Rochester. Everyone who rode the ferry while it ran lauded it as a unique experience and were happy that it had come to the lake. Even more people would be sad to see it go.
3: I have never been aboard a sea to be a dreamer. Even if I could afford a steamer, I would take the ferry boat every time. This has been Here You Are, a podcast from the Department of History at the University of Rochester. The lead researcher for this episode was Stefan Chowdhury. This episode was produced by Grace Julian and sound engineering was by Casey Brentnall. Our narrator for this episode was Stefan Chowdhury. The coordinating producer for this season of Here You Are is William Gusios. The executive producers are Thomas Fleischman and Steven Resner. Music for this episode was provided by Casey Brentnell. Our theme song, The Ferryboat Serenade, was written by Harold Adamson, Mario Panzeri, and Aldo DiLazzaro, and arranged by Eleanor Leno. It was performed by Elizabeth Tai, Lauren Bales, Eleanor Leno, and Diara Bell, and engineered by Ethan Weinstein. A big thank you to Maribel Johnson for agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast. The production team at Here You Are would also like to thank the following people and organizations. Thank you to Michelle Finn and the Rochester Public Library for their guidance and access to newspapers and research materials. Thank you to Colleen Law and WROC Channel 8 for access to their extensive news clips. Thanks to Melissa Mead from Rare Books and Collections at the University of Rochester for her insight into proper research methods and practices. And a special thanks to Sandra Nipsel for interview advice, Sophia Ducar for social media tips, and Janelle Hart for her graphic design work. For more information on this episode, including images, additional links, transcripts, as well as the rest of season three, visit hereyouare.com. Thanks for listening. I love to ride the ferry where music is so... Sing together, happy with a terrible